0: Section thirty seven of the Fair Maid of Perth, or St. Valentine's Day. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Campbell Shelp. The Fair Maid of Perth, or St. Valentine's Day, by Sir Walter Scott. Chapter thirty two, part two. The hour of dinner alone afforded a space when. All in the castle being occupied with that meal, Catherine thought she had the best opportunity of venturing to the breach in the wall, with the least chance of being observed. In waiting for the hour, she observed some stir in the castle, which had been silent as the grave ever since the seclusion of the Duke of Rothsay. The portcullis was lowered and raised, and the creaking of the machinery was intermingled with the tramp of horse, as men-at-arms went out and returned with steeds hard-ridden and covered with foam she observed too that such domestics as she casually saw from her window were in arms all this made her heart throb high for it augured the approach of rescue and besides the bustle left the little garden more lonely than ever at length the hour of noon arrived she had taken care to provide under pretence of her own wishes which the pantler seemed disposed to indulge such articles of food as could be the most easily conveyed to the unhappy captive she whispered to intimate her presence. There was no answer. She spoke louder, still there was silence. He sleeps. She muttered these words half aloud, and with a shuddering which was succeeded by a start and a scream, when a voice replied behind her. Yes, he sleeps, but it is forever. She looked round. Sir John Ramorny stood behind her in complete armour, but the visor of his helmet was up, and displayed a countenance more resembling one about to die than to fight he spoke with a grave tone something between that of a calm observer of an interesting event and of one who is an agent and partaker in it catherine he said all is true which i tell you he is dead you have done your best for him you can do no more i will not i cannot believe it said catherine heaven be merciful to me "'It would make one doubt of providence to think so great a crime has been accomplished.' "'Doubt not of providence, Catherine, though it has suffered the profligate to fall by his own devices. Follow me. I have that to say which concerns you. I say follow,' for she hesitated, "'unless you prefer being left to the mercies of the brute Bontherin and the mediciner Henbane Dwining.' "'I will follow you,' said Catherine. "'You cannot do more to me than you are permitted.' He led the way into the tower, and mounted staircase after staircase and ladder after ladder. Catherine's resolution failed her. "'I will follow no farther,' she said. "'Whither would you lead me, if to my death I can die here?' "'Only to the battlements of the castle, fool,' said Ramorny, throwing wide a barred door which opened upon the vaulted roof of the castle, where men were bending mangonels, as they called them—military engines, that is, for throwing arrows or stones—' getting ready crossbows, and piling stones together. But the defenders did not exceed twenty in number, and Catherine thought she could observe doubt and irresolution amongst them. Catherine, said Ramorny, I must not quit this station which is necessary for my defence, but I can speak with you here as well as elsewhere. Say on, answered Catherine, I am prepared to hear you. You have thrust yourself, Catherine, into a bloody secret— "'Have you the firmness to keep it?' "'I do not understand you, Sir John,' answered the maiden. "'Look you! I have slain—murdered, if you will—my late master, the Duke of Rothsay. "'The spark of life which your kindness would have fed was easily smothered. "'His last words called on his father. "'You are faint. Bear up. You have more to hear. "'You know the crime, but you know not the provocation. "'See, this gauntlet is empty.' I lost my right hand in his cause, and when I was no longer fit to serve him I was cast off like a worn-out hound, my loss ridiculed, and a cloister recommended, instead of the halls and palaces in which I had my natural sphere. Think on this. Pity and assist me. "'In what manner can you require my assistance?' said the trembling maiden. "'I can neither repair your loss nor cancel your crime.' "'Thou canst be silent, Catherine.' "'on what thou hast seen and heard in yonder thicket. "'It is but a brief oblivion, I ask of you, "'whose word will, I know, be listened to, "'whether you say such things were or were not. "'That of your mountebank companion, the foreigner, "'none will hold to be of a pinpoint's value. "'If you grant me this, I will take your promise for my security, "'and throw the gate open to those who now approach it. "'If you will not promise silence, "'I defend this castle till every one perishes.' "'and I fling you headlong from these battlements. "'Aye, look at them. "'It is not a leap to be rashly braved. Seven courses of stairs brought you up hither "'with fatigue and shortened breath, "'but you shall go from the top to the bottom "'in briefer time than you can breathe a sigh. "'Speak the word, fair maid, "'for you speak to one unwilling to harm you, "'but determined in his purpose.' "'Catherine stood terrified, "'and without power of answering a man "'who seemed so desperate.' but she was saved the necessity of reply by the approach of dwining. He spoke with the same humble conges which at all times distinguished his manner, and with his usual suppressed ironical sneer, which gave that manner the lie. I do you wrong, noble sir, to intrude on your valiancy when engaged with the fair damsel, but I come to ask a trifling question. Speak, tormentor, said Ramorny. Ill news are sport to thee even when they affect thyself so that they concern others also. Hem! Hee-hee! I only desired to know if your knighthood proposed the chivalrous task of defending the castle with your single hand. I crave pardon, I meant your single arm. The question is worth asking, for I am good for little to aid the defence, unless you could prevail on the besiegers to take physic. Hee-hee-hee! And Bronthrin is as drunk as ale, and strong waters can make him. And you— he and I make up the whole garrison who are disposed for resistance. How will the other dogs not fight? said Ramorny. Never saw men who showed less stomach to the work, answered Dwining. Never, but here come a brace of them. Venet Extrema dies. He he he. and his companion Buncle now approached with sullen resolution in their faces, like men who had made their minds up to resist that authority which they had so long obeyed. "'How now?' said Ramorny, stepping forward to meet them. "'Wherefore from your posts? "'Why have you left the Barbican, Eviet? "'And you other fellow, did I not charge you to look to the Mangonels?' "'We have something to tell you, Sir John Ramorny,' answered Eviet. "'We will not fight in this quarrel.' "'How? "'My own squires control me?' exclaimed Ramorny. "'We were your squires and pages, my lord.' "'While you were master of the Duke of Rothsay's household, "'it is brooded about the Duke no longer lives. "'We desire to know the truth.' "'What traitor dares spread such falsehoods?' said Ramorny. "'All who have gone out to skirt the forest, my lord, "'and I myself among others, bring back the same news. "'The minstrel woman who left the castle yesterday "'has spread the report everywhere that the Duke of Rothsay is murdered, "'or at death's door.' The Douglas comes on us with a strong force, and you cowards take advantage of an idle report to forsake your master," said Ramorny indignantly. "My lord," said Eviot, "let Buncle and myself see the Duke of Rothsay and receive his personal orders for defence of this castle. And if we do not fight to the death in that quarrel, I will consent to be hanged on its highest turret. But if he be gone by natural disease." we will yield up the castle to the Earl of Douglas, who is, they say, the king's lieutenant. Or if, which heaven forfend, the noble prince has had foul play, we will not involve ourselves in the guilt of using arms in defence of the murderers, be they who they will. "'Eviot,' said Ramorny, raising his mutilated arm, "'had not that glove been empty, thou hadst not lived to utter two words of this insolence.' It is as it is, answered Aviat, and we do but our duty. I have followed you long, my lord, but here I draw bridle. Farewell, then, and a curse light on all of you, exclaimed the incensed baron. Let my horse be brought forth. Our valiancy is about to run away, said the mediciner, who had crept close to Catherine's side before she was aware. Catherine! thou art a superstitious fool like most women nevertheless thou hast some mind and i speak to thee as one of more understanding than the buffaloes which are herding about us these haughty barons who overstride the world what are they in the day of adversary chaff before the wind let their sledge-hammer hands or their column resembling legs have injury and bah the men-at-arms are gone heart and courage is nothing to them Lith and limb everything. Give them animal strength. What are they better than furious bulls? Take that away, and your hero of chivalry lies groveling like the brute when he is hamstrung. Not so the sage. While a grain of sense remains in a crushed or mutilated frame, his mind shall be strong as ever. Catherine, this morning I was practicing your death, but methinks I now rejoice that you may survive to tell how the poor mediciner— the pill glider the mortar pounder the poison vendor met his fate in company with the gallant knight of ramorny baron in possession and earl of lindores in expectation god save his lordship old man said catherine if thou be indeed so near the day of thy deserved doom other thoughts were far wholesomer than the vainglorious ravings of a vain philosophy ask to see a holy man "'Yes,' said Dwining, scornfully. "'refer myself to a greasy monk, who does not he-he-he. "'Understand the barbarous Latin,' he repeats by rote. "'Such would be a fitting counsellor to one who has studied both in Spain and Arabia. "'No, Catherine, I will choose a confessor that is pleasant to look upon, "'and you shall be honoured with the office. "'Now look yonder at his valiancy. "'His eyebrow drops with moisture.' His lip trembles with agony for his valiancy. He 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 is pleading for his life with his late domestics and has not eloquence enough to persuade them to let him slip. See how the fibres of his face work as he implores the ungrateful brutes whom he has heaped with obligations to permit him to get such a start for his life as the hare has from the greyhounds when men course her fairly. Look also at the sullen, downcast, dogged faces with which, fluctuating between fear and shame, the domestic traitors deny their lord this poor chance for his life. These things thought themselves the superior of a man like me. And you, foolish wench, think so meanly of your deity as to suppose wretches like them are the work of omnipotence. No, man of evil, no, said Catherine warmly. The God I worship created these men with the attributes to know and adore Him, to guard and defend their fellow creatures, to practice holiness and virtue. Their own vices and the temptations of the evil one have made them such as they now are. Oh, take the lesson home to thine own heart of adamant. Heaven made thee wiser than thy fellows, gave thee eyes to look into the secrets of nature, a sagacious heart, and a skilful hand, but thy pride has poisoned all these fair gifts and made an ungodly atheist of one who might have been a Christian sage. "'Atheist, sayst thou?' answered Dwining. "'Perhaps I have doubts on that matter, but they will soon be solved. "'Yonder comes one who will send me, as he has done thousands, "'to the place where all mysteries shall be cleared.' Catherine followed the mediciner's eye up one of the forest glades, and beheld it occupied by a body of horsemen advancing at full gallop, in the midst was a pennon displayed, which, though its bearings were not visible to Catherine, was, by a murmur around, acknowledged as that of the Black Douglas. They halted within an arrow-shot of the castle, and a herald with two trumpets advanced up to the main portal, where, after a loud flourish, he demanded admittance for the high and dreaded Archibald Earl of Douglas, Lord Lieutenant of the King, and acting for the time with the plenary authority of His Majesty, commanding, at the same time, that the inmates of the castle should lay down their arms, all under penalty of high treason. "'You hear?' said Edviot to Ramorny, who stood sullen and undecided. "'Will you give orders to render the castle, or must I?' "'No, villain,' interrupted the knight. "'To the last I will command you. Open the gates, drop the bridge, and render the castle to the douglas.' "'Now that's what may be called a gallant exertion of free will.' said Dwining, just as if the pieces of brass that were screaming a minute since should pretend to call those notes their own which are breathed through them by a frowsy trumpeter. Wretched man, said Catherine, either be silent or turn thy thoughts to the eternity on the brink of which thou art standing. And what is that to thee? answered Dwining. Thou canst not, wench, help hearing what I say to thee, and thou wilt tell it again, for thy sex cannot help that either. Perth and all Scotland shall know what a man they have lost in Henbane-Dwining. The clash of armour now announced that the newcomers had dismounted and entered the castle, and were in the act of disarming the small garrison. Earl Douglas himself appeared on the battlements, with a few of his followers, and signed to them to take Ramorny and Dwining into custody. Others dragged from some nook the stupefied Bonthron. "'It was to these three that the custody of the prince was solely committed during his alleged illness,' said the douglas, prosecuting an inquiry which he had commenced in the hall of the castle. "'No other saw him, my lord,' said Eviot, though I offered my services. "'Conduct us to the duke's apartment, and bring the prisoners with us. Also should there be a female in the castle, if she hath not been murdered or spirited away.' the companion of the glee-maiden who brought the first alarm. "'She is here, my lord,' said Eviot, bringing Catherine forward. Her beauty and her agitation made some impression even upon the impassable earl. "'Fear nothing, maiden,' he said. "'Thou hast deserved both praise and reward. Tell to me, as thou wouldst confess to heaven, the things thou hast witnessed in this castle.' Few words served Catherine to unfold the dreadful story. It agrees, said the douglas, with the tale of the glee maiden from point to point. Now show us the prince's apartment. They passed to the room which the unhappy Duke of Rothsay had been supposed to inhibit, but the key was not to be found, and the earl could only obtain entrance by forcing the door. On entering, the wasted and squalid remains of the unhappy prince were discovered, flung on the bed as if in haste. The intention of the murderers had apparently been to arrange the dead body so as to resemble a timely parted corpse, but they had been disconcerted by the alarm occasioned by the escape of Louise. Douglas looked on the body of the misguided youth, whose wild passions and caprices had brought him to this fatal and premature catastrophe. "'I had wrongs to be redressed,' he said, "'but to see a sight as this banishes all remembrance of injury.' (laughs) "'He, he!' It should have been arranged, said Dwining, more to your omnipotence's pleasure, but you came suddenly on us, and hasty masters make slovenly service. Douglas seemed not to hear what his prisoner said. So closely did he examine the wan and wasted features and stiffened limbs of the dead body before him. Catherine, overcome by sickness and fainting, at length obtained permission to retire from the dreadful scene, and, through confusion of every description, found her way to her former apartment, where she was locked in the arms of Louise, who had returned in the interval. The investigations of Douglas proceeded. The dying hand of the prince was found to be clenched upon a lock of hair, resembling, in colour and texture, the coal-black bristles of Bonthron. Thus, though famine had begun the work, it would seem that Rothsay's death had finally been accomplished by violence. The private stared to the dungeon the keys of which were found at the subaltern assassin's belt, the situation of the vault, its communication with the external air by the fissure in the walls, and the wretched lair of straw, with the fetters which remained there, fully confirmed the story of Catherine and the glee woman. "'We will not hesitate an instant,' said the Douglas to his near kinsman, the Lord Balvenie, as soon as they returned from the dungeon. "'Away with the murderers! Hang them over the battlements!' "'But, my lord, some trial may be fitting,' answered Balveny. "'To what purpose?' answered Douglas. "'I have taken them red hand. "'My authority will stretch to instant execution. "'Yet stay. "'Have we not some Jedwood men in our troop?' "'Plenty of Turnbulls, Rutherfords, Ainsleys, and so forth,' said Balveny. "'Call me an inquest of these together. "'They are all good men and true, "'saving a little shifting for their living.' "'Do you see to the execution of these felons, "'will I hold a court in the great hall, "'and will try whether the jury or the provost-marshal "'do their work first? "'We will have Jedwood justice. "'Hang in haste, and try at leisure.' "'Yet stay, my lord,' said Ramorny. "'You may rue your haste. "'Will you grant me a word out of earshot?' "'Not for worlds,' said Douglas. "'Speak out what thou hast to say "'before all that here are present.' "'Know all, then,' said Ramorny aloud, "'that this noble earl had letters from the Duke of Albany and myself, "'sent him by the hand of yon cowardly deserter, Buncle. "'let him deny it if he dare, "'counseling the removal of the Duke for a space from court, "'and his seclusion in this castle of Falkland.' "'But not a word,' replied Douglas, sternly smiling, "'of his being flung into a dungeon, famished, strangled.' Away with the wretches, Balvany! They polluted God's air too long. The prisoners were dragged off to the battlements, but while the means of execution were in the act of being prepared, the apothecary expressed so ardent a desire to see Catherine once more, and, as he said, for the good of his soul, that the maiden, in hopes of obduracy, might have undergone some change even at the last hour, consented again to go to the battlements and face a scene which her heart recoiled from, a single glance showed her Bonthron sunk in total and drunken insensibility, Ramorny stripped of his armor, endeavoring in vain to conceal fear, while he spoke with the priest whose good offices he had solicited, and Dwining the same humble, obsequious-looking, crouching individual she had always known him. He held in his hand a little silver pen, with which he had been writing on a scrap of parchment. Catherine, he said, he he he. I wish to speak to thee on the nature of my religious faith. If such be thy intention, why lose time with me? Speak with this good father. The good father, said Dwining, is he, he, already a worshipper of the deity whom I have served. I therefore prefer to give the altar of mine idol a new worshipper in thee, Catherine. This scrap of parchment will tell thee how to make your way into my chapel, where I have worshipped so often in safety.' I leave the images which it contains to thee as a legacy, simply because I hate and contemn thee something less than any of the absurd wretches whom I have hitherto been obliged to call fellow-creatures, and now away, or remain and see if the end of the quacksalver belies his life. "'Our lady forbid,' said Catherine. "'Nay,' said the mediciner, "'I have but a single word to say, and yonder nobleman's valiancy may hear it if he will.' Lord Balveny approached, with some curiosity, for the undaunted resolution of a man who never wielded sword or bore armour, and was in person a poor dwindled dwarf, had to him an air of something resembling sorcery. "'You see this trifling implement?' said the criminal, showing the silver pen. "'By means of this I can escape the power even of the Black Douglas.' "'Give him no ink nor paper,' said Balveny hastily. "'He will draw a spell.' "'Not so, please your wisdom and valiancy.' (laughs) "'He, he, he,' said Dwining with his usual chuckle, as he unscrewed the top of the pen, within which was a piece of sponge or some such substance, no bigger than a pea. "'Now mark this,' said the prisoner, and drew it between his lips. The effect was instantaneous. He lay a dead corpse before them, the contemptuous sneer still on his countenance. Catherine shrieked and fled, seeking by a hasty descent, In escape from a sight so appalling, Lord Balvenie was for a moment stupefied, and then exclaimed, This may be a glamour. Hang him over the battlements, quick or dead. If his foul spirit hath only withdrawn for a space, it shall return to a body with a dislocated neck. His commands were obeyed. Ramorny and Bonthrin were then ordered for execution. The last was hanged before he seemed quite to comprehend what was designed to be done with him, Ramorny, pale as death, yet with the same spirit of pride which had occasioned his ruin, pleaded his knighthood and demanded the privilege of dying by decapitation by the sword and not by the noose. The Douglas never alters his doom, said Balveny, but thou shalt have all thy rights. Send the cook hither with a cleaver. The menial whom he called appeared at his summons. What shakest thou for, fellow? said Balveny. Here, strike me this man's gilt spurs from his heels with thy cleaver, and now, John Ramorny, thou art no longer a knight but a knave. To the halter with him, Provost Marshal. Hang him betwixt his companions and higher than them, if it may be. In a quarter of an hour afterwards, Balvany descended to tell the Douglas that the criminals were executed. Then there is no further use in the trial," said the Earl. "How say you, good men of inquest?" "'Were these men guilty of high treason, aye or no?' "'Guilty!' exclaimed the obsequious inquest, "'with edifying unanimity. "'We need no farther evidence. "'Sound trumpets, and to horse, then, "'with our own train only, "'and let each man keep silence on what has chanced here, "'until the proceeding shall be laid before the king, "'which cannot conveniently be "'till the battle of Palm Sunday shall be fought and ended. "'Select our attendants,' and tell each man who either goes with us or remains behind that he who prates dies. In a few minutes the douglas was on horseback, with the followers selected to attend his person. Expresses were sent to his daughter, the widowed Duchess of Rothsay, directing her to take her course to Perth, by the shores of Loch Leven without approaching Falkland, and committing to her charge Catherine Glover and the Glee Woman, as persons whose safety he tendered. As they rode through the forest, they looked back, and beheld the three bodies hanging like specks darkening the walls of the old castle the hand is punished said douglas but who shall arraign the head by whose direction the act was done you mean the duke of albany said i do kinsman and were i to listen to the dictates of my heart i would charge him with the deed which i am certain he has authorized but there is no proof of it beyond strong suspicion and Albany has attached to himself the numerous friends of the House of Stuart, to whom, indeed, the imbecility of the king and the ill-regulated habits of Rothsay left no other choice of a leader. Were I, therefore, to break the bond which I have so lately formed with Albany, the consequence must be civil war, an event ruinous to poor Scotland while threatened by invasion from the activity of the Percy, backed by the treachery of March. No, Balveny, the punishment of Albany must rest with Heaven, which, in its own good time, will execute judgment on him and on his house. End of section 37. Recording by Campbell Shelp.